Blessed Sunday, everyone. We are so glad that you are here with us online. Before we jump into our series, I would like to ask you to please prepare your communion elements there. Um, prepare na daninyo, get it ready para diritsu nata later as we remember and celebrate uh, what Christ has done for us. So I hope um, you are excited and I'm so excited to share the Lord's Supper with you. And we're, we are also um, happy that you are part of this series called Rethinking the Church. Um, we are studying together what the church is all about and just allow the Word of God to really shape our understanding about the church. And, oh, and we are using the, the analogy of a body from the Apostle Paul, looking at the specific features sa body. And um, so far, we, we are done with the skeletal system uh, that gives the foundation or framework of the church. And we've learned in this uh, feature the five non-negotiable truths. I don't know if you remember, Paninio, but Monato ang na, na learn that um, the truths that we need not compromise as a church. We need to embrace. First is the glory of God. Next, the authority of the scripture. Sound doctrine, the pursuit of holiness, and then honoring and submitting to the spiritual authorities sa tong kinabuhi. And then we talked about the internal system, referring to the internal attitudes or spiritual attitudes that really gives life to the body of Christ. If wala internal organ, like for example, the heart, um, wala life ang body, right? So um, right now, we are talking about the heart attitudes that really gives life to the church because we believe that the church can't just have external activities or routines, but the people of a church must have certain spiritual attitudes. And so far, we've already looked at several of the internal attitudes that should be present in the church. First, uh, we need to have an obedient attitude and then humility and then unity. Then uh, we talk about... Um, Love and yeah, love, unity, um, willingness to serve, joy, and peace. And today, uh, we will add or study three more spiritual attitudes. So, um, the eighth attitude that we need to cultivate in our lives is self discipline, or the Bible calls it self control. And I think many of us are really familiar with the concept of having New Year's resolution, right? Um, hindi lang mo familiar, but nagbuhat niyo. Every year, many people make, um, resolutions either to start um, doing something or to stop doing something. Naba mo, Ana? Or ma-remember pa ba ninyo? Or wala na kay dugay mo na fail? Now, here's the thing. Why is it that one person's New Year's resolution ni succeed man? While ang imuha, wala pa ganit mag-end ang first month. Like, wala pa mag-end ang January sa, sa um, na-fail na dayon ka. What is the difference maker? I believe the difference maker is self-discipline. And in the Bible, self-discipline is um, or means staying away from sin and doing only those things that are right. The disciplined person understands the law of God and doesn't do anything outside the bounds of that standard. The, the, the standard is the word of God. And the Apostle Paul compared the self-discipline required in Christian living with an athlete training for and competing in the ancient athletic games. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians 9 or chapter 9 verses 24 to through 27. This is one of the examples uh, ni Apostle Paul. And let me just give you the background before nato ni basahon. Okay? Prior anong verse, Paul as a faithful procreate Proclaimer of 
the good news, told the believers about how he chooses to dispose of his rights for the sake of other people. He gave his life in he gave his life in all that he can to become all things to people so that by all means he might save some. And then he closes this chapter by giving this analogy or an athletic imagery to help the Corinthian believers understand why he, he lives his life this way, why he becomes all things to all people. Now, beginning in verse 24, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So, okay, let me give you a side note, okay? Paul said that run in such a way that you may what? Obtain it or obtain the price. Now, ako lang ni clarify ha, that this price nga giingon or gi mention ni Paul diri is not the price of salvation. That you run faithfully so that maluas ka. No, you don't obtain heaven. You cannot really earn heaven. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. You get to heaven not by doing anything, but by believing in Jesus who did it all for you. You don't obtain heaven, okay? It's it's a gift. And Paul is clear as a young gospel that salvation is by faith. But here's a, the reality. Getting into heaven is by faith, okay? Um... But getting rewarded in heaven is according to works, okay? And this is why Paul is living a sacrificial life for the sake of others to obtain a reward. And he has not challenge ang Corinthian believers to run to win the prize, to, to win the rewards that God will give. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says here, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So one motivation of Paul to really please God is his knowledge that he will be judged by Christ for his works in this life. And the Bible is really clear that there will be rewards given to the believers. And I know for us, uh, gaining and knowing Christ and being found and reunited with Him someday is really more than enough. But there's more, okay? There's more. There are rewards that we will be receiving from God faithful service to the Lord. So, I clarify lang nako niha so that you will really understand the context. Paul was, the talking, was not talking about um, earning heaven by works. Here. Okay, so going back to verse, Paul used this familiar image, the athletic, you know, imagery sa mga believers of Corinth, because it was in this city um ngagina held ang Isthmian Games, one of the biggest festivals among Greeks next to the Olympics. It, it was a festival of athletic and musical competitions, na ay boxing, na ay wrestling. Nai foot and horse um, racing and so on in honor of the sea god Poseidon. So Paul knew that his audience can really relate aning analogy, and he wanted them to understand that they were also in a race like the Greek athletes. But it's far greater because the the rewards is eternal, not just temporal. And Yehanae mentions uh, next um, verse. So um, but. Paul is clearly telling us that Christianity is not a spectator sport, okay? That you're just watching and cheering for others. No, if you are a Christian, let me tell you this. You are part of the game. You are right now, if you're listening, 
Okay, you are running the race. Today, this morning, you are in the middle of your race. There is a starting line. There is a finish line. And there is a prize. So how is your race going? Are you running hard? Are you even aware that you are in the race? But just like... um. Just like the race, there is always discipline involved, right? Na sacrifice guna, na focus needed to accomplish the goal. That's and that's what he said in the next verse, in verse twenty-five. Ming and Paul, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, for as Christians, we do it for an imperishable crown. So. Makita nato um ang answer diria. How do we win the prize? Of course, uh, it's through a self-disciplined life. And the Greek word for um word Paul used for self-control here is referred to athletes in his day who abstained from unhealthy food, wine, and sex prior to competition. So the point is this: um, this race is really not easy, and and it demands you not uh to or it demands you to give up your comfort in order to win the prize. Now, if, even if wala kay idea or if you don't follow sports, you probably understand a little bit about what athletes go through, right? Kabaluta nga, na good sacrifice behind their progress and success in life. And if you are an, an athlete right now, every part of your life from sleeping to, to everything, you know, you, everything you eat, to, to what you drink, to how you exercise, to how you rest, and, and what you are doing to prepare for the competi- competition mentally, it requires self-control to, to say no to anything that would really hinder you from running well, right? And that's also what we have to do as Christians in order to run, um, run well in this race. We have to give up something to gain the imperishable rewards. We have to recognize that in order um, to gain what you want, it's going to require a measure of discipline in your own life. Now, in the next two ber- verses, Paul turns the spotlight on his own training, okay, for this prize. He said this, Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air. So, Paul writes that he doesn't not uh, he does not train so that he can beat up the air, but he wants to give a serious blow to his opponent. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest I, when I have re- preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So this is what self-discipline for Paul looked like. He disciplines his body. Okay, and other version, he he strikes a, a blow to his own body. Now, what does he mean when he said the word body? So Paul is talking about um the body as the place where our sin dwells. Okay, Paul is really clear about the relationship of sin in our body in the book of Romans, Romans eight thirteen. He said this: For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the de- deeds of the body, you will live. So the word "body" here in Romans is the same Greek word na yung gigamit sa First Corinthians. Paul was referring to the flesh, this sinful nature in us that make us want to sin. In other words, he didn't want to let the desires and passions of the flesh rule in his life, in his body. He wants to fight his sinful impulses with all his might as boxers fights and gives a blow to his opponent so that he won't be 
so that delete siya disqualified um, or not get the rewards in his service as being faithful minister of the gospel. And same kind Paul, we really need to uh, fight our sinful impulses too. Okay, our in uh, inability to say no, you know what, to pornography or sex outside of marriage, that's a a, a result because wala pa nato na master ato ang sexual desires. Usahay dili ta careful sa mga words that we say nga maglead sa sin of gossip kay wala pa nato na master atong tongue. When I sail sa Shopee, okay, na no monotify Shopee. Add to cart dayon ta, although dili gyud nimo need, but you become an impulsive buyer because of lack of self-control. Imbis na mag-diet pud ka, kay na mao na imuhang new year's resolution this year dili gyud nimo mapugngan ang imong cravings okay ganahan gyud ka mukaon and there are other things as well in life that are seems harmless you know harmless diversions in life like playing computer games watching netflix scrolling social media if left unchecked they can really turn into unhealthy indulgence or even an addiction but the sayang problem is this. Sometimes we don't really take full responsibility of our actions, right? We don't take full responsibilities of our actions. We don't own our own be- we don't own our own behavior. We don't admit that we have a problem of sin within our hearts. We try to blame the external temptations. You know, gina blame natong environment, ang technology, ang mga tao, but not really seeing that these temptations outside, the reason why usay tempting kaayo ni sila is because of the problem within our hearts. Jerry, uh, Jerry Bridges said this, Self-control is necessary because we are at war with our own sinful desires. James describes those desires as dragging us away and enticing us into sin. That's in James 1.14. Peter says they, they war against our souls. What makes these sinful desires to so dangerous is that they dwell within our hearts. External temptations would not be, listen to this, it would not be nearly so dangerous where it not for the fact that they find this ally of desire right within our own breasts. So get that? Um, our problem with sin is not outside, but it's inside, my brothers and sisters. Yes, the world is full of temptations. Okay, full dagangyo temptations sa kalibutan. Um, but the responsibility for our actions is upon each of us individually. The external temptations just amplify or reveal kung unsa yun na anadaan sa tong heart, kung saan problem sa to ang within us. And we have to admit our own behavior. We have to admit our own sins instead ng justify us so that we can really begin to find solutions at our problem. So, um, brothers and sisters, you live in a spiritual battle every day. Um, and the battle is not just outside, but it's inside. It's within you. And the question is, will you exercise self-control in order to win the prize, an eternal prize that God has for you in Christ? All right, so the question now is how to fight this battle within us effectively, right? How can I master or make this sinful desire in us so that it will not master us? Now, let me give you two ways. First is this, treasure God's word. Treasure God's word. So I'm not encouraging self-will or self-determination here to kill sin in our own lives. That ang source of self-control is ultimately self. No. Yes, we have a responsibility, but the power comes from God. And one of the primary tools that God uses to really purify our lives is His Word. Psalm 119.11 says this, 
I have stored up other translations, keep or hide or treasure your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the, the heart in the Old Testament um, is actually a place of both thinking and feeling. So the psalmist is basically saying that he treasured God's word in a place where they can be thought about and felt so that he cannot sin against God. And so may this remind us, brothers and sisters, that the way to kill sin in our lives is to saturate ourselves with the Word of God, to feed ourselves with the Scripture. Hiding um, God's Word in our heart essentially means reading and memorizing and, you know, meditate God's Word, meditate the Bible until it dwells richly in our hearts that we don't have the appetite for sin in our lives. And this is very important as we live a self-disciplined life. A pure self-disciplined life comes from being saturated with the Word of God. So let me ask you a question. What sorts of things find their way into your heart and mind right now? You've been given the responsibility. You've been given a responsibility to guard your heart and to keep track of, of the things you hide inside it. So what's in there now? Is it anger? Is it lust? Ugly images from TV, you know, the movies or, or, the, or on the internet? Are you harboring bitterness or greed? Are you envious of others? I pray, this is really my prayer, um, that God's word um, would become living and active, that it would cut deeply into our hearts, both um, to expose our sin, that we might confess it, and also to bring healing and help we all desire. So that's the first way. And next is this, seek the Holy Spirit's help. Seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me read Romans 8.13 again. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, this is amazing, it's not within a man, okay? It's by the Spirit or of his own, or our own will to be able to put death to sin in our body, but by the Spirit. You, okay, so there's a healthy balance here. You um, put to death the deeds of the body you will live. So there's a God's responsibility and our responsibility. And yes, we are talking about self-discipline or self-control here, but it's actually not entirely about self. Like, I've got to do this all by myself. And it's neither entirely passive. Like, let go and let God. No, this verse balances a moment-by-moment decision to kill sin by depending upon the Spirit's power in our lives. So again, self-control is never self-generated. Rather, it's work of grace within us. So um, though uh, we are active in practicing it, we simply bear this fruit of self-discipline in our lives, okay? It's just a fruit of the Spirit. We never produce it. Remember that. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God works hand in hand. It's God's Word that reveals to us what's really right and wrong. And it's God's Spirit that really convicts us of uh, our sins and calls us to repentance and gives us the power to obey what God's, God wants us to obey in our lives. Now, um, these are not the only ways, but these are the primar- primary ways God uses to produce the fruit of self-control sa ang kinabuhi. And so the next attitude is this, accountability. Webster D- Dictionary defines accountability um, as an obligation or willingness to accept 
responsibility or to account for one's actions. So it means that you take full responsibility for your own actions and decisions and you are to answer to someone whom you are accountable with. So that is accountability. We are used to being accountable, right? As children, we were accountable to our parents, right? As students, we were accountable to our teachers. As employees, we are accountable to our bosses. And as spouses, uh, we are accountable to our own uh, significant other. And scripture also tells us that um, we are, or that we will be held accountable to God for every word and actions we, we, we do in life. We are to give an answer sayaha, on the judgment seat on how we live our lives. And also, the Bible is clear that we are, as brothers and sisters, are meant to hold each other accountable. God expects that there are to be a level of accountability between members within the body of Christ. In fact, um, the Bible says that we have a responsibility to instruct, one another, admonish, restore, submit, and um, encourage one another and lots of one another's in the Bible. And, and these are all uh, facets of accountability. And let me just borrow the definition of Will Shoreman. Um, kung unsa ang Christian accountability, he said this, Accountability can be defined as mutual disclosure leading to increased obedience. So that's accountability. Accountability must be reciprocal. You know, both are um, to give an account to one another. Mutual, you know, mutual disclosure. And there must be openness and honesty. And as the relationship, you know, continues and grows, um, and like you get to know each other well, both strengths and weaknesses, you know, the good things and the bad things in your life in order to get the encouragement, the support, and the correction if needed. And remember that the end goal of our accountability is not simply, you know, um, self-disclosure like you open up. It's not to get to know each other better. It's not just that. The end goal of accountability is increased obedience. It's life transformation that we become more like Jesus at being conformed into his image. Now, let me show you some scripture here or from the scripture, one of the example of God's word commanding Christians to be held accountable with one another. We can find that in Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17. So Jesus was talking about dealing a sinning and an unrepentant brothers or sisters in the local church here. And he said this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. You know, just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along uh, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So, Clear Kayodria that Jesus is showing us that Christians should hold other Christians accountable for their sins. Okay? That if nakay makita ng mohang fellow brother or sister um, in the body of Christ, nga ay sala, go and confront that person. And if diligani mamina, you you follow. You should follow this process of church discipline nga on ni Jesus. So the point is this you and I are accountable. 
to our brothers and sisters. You are not res- you are not responsible for their sin, of course, but you have an obligation to help your brothers and sisters if they are sinning. Paul said in Galatians 6.1, he said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin or overtaken or trapped by sin, you who live by the Spirit. So this is a command for all, not just for some highly spiritual Christians, not just even for leaders, but to those Christians who walk in the Spirit of God. Um, you should restore a person gently. So that's a command for everybody. And the word used here, uh, the word used for restore in this verse is a verb which means to set a broken bone. If um, a fellow brother falls down and breaks his leg, what are you going to do? Alangan naman, pasagdan na nimo diha magsinagita or um, mag, mag-anto sa kasakit. Of course, you, you who are spiritual, set the broken bone. Get him back on his feet again. And that is the responsibility that we have as believers um, with one another in the local body. If we see pride and greediness and laziness, na libakira dire or libakiro diha, unmarried couple living together or people addicted into something, husbands who are unfaithful to their wives or Christian parents being irresponsible to their children, you have the responsibility to help or to help that person um, back into the right track. Talk to the person in private first and if you see them doing some, um, if you see them doing something that really goes against the, the word of God. If dili mamina, then follow what Jesus ha- said in Matthew. But the point is this, uh, some, some mga verses natin ibasa, we as members of the family of God, we have the responsibility to do something if we know someone who is struggling or trapped in habitual sin or battling with sin. And confrontation is really necessary to help restore a sinning brother. So the question is, do we care or show concern when you see your brother or a sister caught in sin or we just don't see the need to restore because we think that's their life anyway and I don't really care I know I struggle ni kayo sa tua because um uh pake sa fellow brothers and sisters because we live in a society that has become very very individualistic right uh we hear people say um be your own man or woman do your own thing and ne- and never mind others' business. But it shouldn't be this way. We are a part of a family and family cares for each other, right? And accountability in the church should be a normal practice as we help one another fight against sin and pursue holiness in our lives. Now, I want to say something about confronting someone here, okay? Um, because Kai, I know some of you may be excited that you confront. Nagulat lang mo go signal and maybe basin mo na ni <laughs> go signal niya. Now chill lang sa um, nalang sa ko isulti as a warning and I hope maminaw ka. Um, I know confrontation is healthy if it is done properly. That's why important kayo um, that when we confront someone sa ilang sala, the motivation yun is always to correct and restore, to set a broken bone, right? Not to condemn, and we do it in the spirit of gentleness according to Galatians six. Um, and I think the primary reason is that Christian accountability work is because if we we respond harshly, masuko na with a critical spirit, you know, 
na experience ba ninyo na with someone na nag-confront sa inyo ha um, na condemning kayo yung attitude instead of offering grace we offer sa high critical judgment but there is actually a problem if ingani atong approach uh, when we respond with your critical judgment and not grace because we need to understand that human beings are wired for self-protection and survival and when people see others being hurt and rejected or punished for their sin people tend to hide or conceal kung unsa ilang mga struggles kay mahadlok sila ma-judge mahadlok sila masakitan so walay true christian accountability gyud nga mahitabo ana kay instead nga mo mo disclose mo mo deepen ninyo yung relationship mahadlok na noon and magpretend na lang so again careful ta ani ha um Careful when we confront someone, make sure that we confront with with grace and love and the spirit of gentleness. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we confront with with some measure of grace and humility sa when when we see a sinning brother or a sister? Now the answer for that is this. Let's look at Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Now Jesus was talking about judging others here with a right heart. And this is what he said as a warning. In Matthew 7, um, 3 to 5, Seven, three to five. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the lag that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the lag in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the lag out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now the point is this. Before ka mabother sa sala sa upan, try og search sa imuhang kaugalingon na kasing-kasing. If na baka issue sa imuhang kasing-kasing because I believe na jud. Because it's ridiculous society for us to spend so much time mamantay ra sa uban, finding, you know, the fault sa uban that um while we ignore our own huge problems. So when you see sin in someone else's life, we need to say this, okay, Lord, unsa man is this sin in my life as well? Or na ba mga issues sa ako ang kasing-kasing? You know what? Um, if you begin um with your own heart, instead nga maging self-righteous ka, kay feeling ni mo mas maayo ka sa uban, or instead nga mo complain dain ka or na um you have this judgmental spirit kay na sila mali, you will begin to see people that they are really sinners who are still work in progress and still a recipient of God's grace no matter how they messed up, just like you. <laughs> you also have issues and you are a work in progress. John MacArthur said this, Accountability among the people of a church is an important thing. In a relationship of accountability, a person is not just responsible for taking care of others. He is also responsible for making sure his own life is right before he tries to take care of others. So see, um, Accountability is not just helping people to make their life uh, their lives right before God. But it calls the one who confronts to make sure his own life is right before God as well. That's accountability. But you check your own life as well. Biblical accountability begins with the heart of the person who is bringing the accountability. It doesn't begin by dealing the issue of someone, but it begins with dealing your own issues. So, here's my um, um, reminder lang sa imuha. Before judging others, look at your own heart. So look at your own mistakes and the depth of your sin and deal with your issues first 
confess and repent. And in the process, as you do this, you will encounter a loving God who forgives you despite Simon's sin. And having received his love and forgiveness in life, you can also begin to deal the issues of your brothers and sisters with love and grace and humility. Now, I want to say something, but if we are being confronted by our sin, um, if someone approaches us and tries to rebuke or cor correct us, I hope open putta for confrontation. Let me just highlight Psalm 141.5. David says, So let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Amazing, guys, David. He's not talking about literally a punch to, to the face, but poetically, he gives a permit to faithful correction in his life when he is in the wrong. And it is a kindness for him. And he said, let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Amazing guys in David, right? He invites your view, rebuke sayang life because for him, it does not harm him. He or it does not harm his head, but refreshes it. So can you hear the desire of David? He is inviting people in his life to, to rebuke and correct him. It doesn't bring harm, but he, he knows it brings good in his life. And is this how you see rebuke and correction here in your own life? Now, let's let's be honest here. No one really likes to be told they are in the wrong, right? No one of us looks forward to those moments, diba? Actually, for many of us, those times probably bring out the worst in us. We get defensive and we start, you know, looking for ways to pass the blame. If naay mo try to correct sa atua or mo criticize sa atua, mas sayon pa sa atua na mo criticize sa uban. But if kita na ganing ideal, may nga na dahin takin saman mo there or criticize sa kuwa. But I hope humble Judah, humble ta enough to take healthy criticism and correction sa tong life if it comes our way sooner or later. Because here's the reality, as John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you have sins in your own life, let me tell you this, that sin is a cancer. It it only It's only going to grow. It's only going to get worse if you don't deal it. And if you choose to hide in the dark, confess, sin thrives and grows in the darkness. Until it becomes a monster that will really destroy your own soul, it hinders your intimacy with God, and it affects your relationship with one another. Okay, Sin does not only affect your relationship with God, but it affects other people. And if naapod ka, ginastragilan ka ron, nga wala, walay, walay nakabalo, okay? dili ka ganahan mo confess, ayaw po paghulat nga naapay mo confront. Uh, I mean, mo confront sa imuha bago pa ni mo i-deal. Kaya di ingyud ka makonfront kaya ginatago raman ni mo. So my encouragement for you is to expose your sin in the light. Confess it with one another and seek help from one another in order for you to find progress slowly okay, on whatever area sa imuhang kinabuhi. Now, I'm not saying that you confess to everyone in the church, no. But choose someone or maybe two or three um, people in, in your life whom you can trust, who will love you no matter what and willing to help you grow towards maturity. So, um, I hope that we will be a church who really hold each other, uh, each one accountable. You know, we care and show concern with one another because we are part of the family. We love one another and that we don't want them to get trapped sa sala, but we want to see victory sa lahang life over sins.
Now, the next attitude I like to talk about is this dependence. An attitude of dependence on God. Now, the best illustration, Annie, are the children. Children are dependent on other people, right? Kabalutana, they depend on people for the basics uh, basics of life, like food, a place to sleep, you know, safety. You know, ch children cannot really provide these things for themselves. They simply have to trust that someone else will give them the things that they really need. And this is the attitude Jesus wants for us as well. And here's the truth. The Christian faith Faith is about union and communion with Jesus. Okay? Union and communion with Jesus. At salvation, of course, we know that we enter into a, a union with God by faith in Christ that changes our legal status. We have right standing with God now. That's the fact. We have a righteousness that comes by faith, um, and that faith justifies us. But we also have communion with God. We have access to a life-giving, joy-producing communion with God through Christ every day. And one of Jesus' most vivid and powerful illustrations that supports this idea is the vine and the branches. You know, the, the teaching is found in John 15. And this was the time where Jesus prepared his disciples for his imminent death and departure and knowing na disturb kaayo yahang mga disciples and he said this remain in me as i also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing now Think about that for a moment. Think about this. These truths I know are really very basic, yet I fear we often, you know, neglect this in practice. Okay. The the branch is dependent on the vine, as the verse said. Without the the vine, the branch is useless, powerless, and lifeless. Same puts that among believers. As the branch, the only way to be fruitful in, in our Christian life is to remain in him. And to remain or to abide, so banya versions, it's actually a verb. It is active. Remaining in Christ is not just a feeling or a belief, but remaining, but something that we do. Maybe you say, you know, I love the idea of remaining in the vine and in fact, memorize na ako din ang verse. Well, the question is, are you doing this? Are you intentionally and actively remaining in Christ? But what does abiding or remaining in Christ look like? Now, John MacArthur said this. He said, to abide means we depend on him for grace and power to obey. We look obediently to his word for instruction on how to live. We offer him our deepest adoration and praise and we submit ourselves to his authority over our lives. So you get the idea, right? Um, remaining in Jesus means that uh, we are to be connected sayaha, as the source of our power and strength by practically accessing the means of grace sa ito ang kinabuhi. And so many mga means of grace, well, we have the Word of God. We have to read the Word of God, meditate on His Word, like, like uh, and also engage in prayer and other spiritual disciplines and access His power through, through His Holy Spirit so that we become more like Jesus 
Jesus and we bear the life of Christ in our lives and it affects every area sa atong kinabuhi your parenting life, your marriage, your life at work, your struggle with sin and so on. So that's what it means to remain and and uh, abide in Jesus. Not just an idea or a belief but it's something that we do intentionally every day. So it's very important that we are constantly connected to divine by doing the spiritual discipline so that we can really bear fruits, particularly the fruits of the Spirit sa itong kinabuhi. But na mga challenges, ani. First is this, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Now, self-sufficiency, of course, is it's the opposite of dependency, right? Or dependence. The cultural wisdom of our day seeks to boost confidence and performance by promoting self sufficiency you know we hear people say you've got this you know you are enough perhaps you know we resent this statement John that apart from me you can do nothing because part of our sinful nature is we want to prove something you know we want to project that we are strong enough we are good enough we are you know smart enough we can stand on our own feet that we are something not nothing right that's part of our sinful nature. But here's the truth. Self-sufficiency keeps you from acknowledging the help that you need. Okay? If you are not submitted to God, it's because ultimately you think you are capable of making it through life on your own. If you don't pray and fellowship with God regularly in life, it's because deep down in heart, you just don't feel that desperate for God. You think you know better than God and, you know, you can figure out things on your own. And sometimes you don't seek help from the Spirit to kill sin in your life because you think which is really impossible. And sometimes you don't allow God to help you through the community um, that He has given you because you think you are better off your own. So see, um, if... I-check lang nato ang ato ang kasing-kasing. Sometimes we have this tendency to be self-sufficient. And self-sufficiency is actually the co- code word for, for pride. Okay? And here's, here's the thing. The root of all these choices is the proud assumption that I just don't need the grace of God deeply and intimately at work in my life. That's that's the root problem, okay? But we need to take heed to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit here are those who cast themselves on God's grace, those who personally acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy before God and see their desperate need for God. And I love to compare translations. And as I read the NLT version, it makes it easier to understand. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So see, Jesus is declaring that it is really a blessing to recognize our need for Him every day, to be filled by His grace. You know, the people of the kingdom of God are those people who acknowledges that they need God's grace each and every day, moment by moment. And Jesus wants us to humbly accept that, that in and of ourselves, we are not enough. We just aren't enough. And we try to be enough. We try so, so hard to be self-sufficient. But we need His grace. We need to be in fellowship with Jesus and abide in Him every day so that we can be what He wants us to be and do what He calls us to do. So let me ask you some questions here. 
When was the last time you prayed for wisdom as parents to manage your own household? And as married couples, when was the last time you prayed to protect your marriages from any temptations or give you grace to have a healthy relationship? Or maybe kumpiyansara mo, guys. So far, okay pa man ang dagan sa inyong relationship. <laughs> and how often do you pray to God to not lead you into temptation? Or you think, or you think vulnerable to temptations around you. That's why you don't really pray. Do you always make it a priority to really read God's word so that you can make disciples out of an overflow, not from the vacuum? Do you come to God with a desperate heart that on your own, you cannot handle the ministry He has entrusted to you, that you cannot really change people unless He works through you and in their hearts? And in the battle with your own sin, do you depend on the power of His Word and Spirit to change your life or confident that you think So if you search your own heart now, do you see any hint of self-sufficiency? Now if not, surrender to God and choose to depend on Him. So that's the first challenge. And the second challenge is this, business. Now, aside from the fact that um, we live in a culture that emphasizes self-sufficiency you know, and individualism, we also live in a culture in which everyone is busy. That we are constantly on the go and so we neglect being still and abiding in our precious Savior, Jesus. And this is actually one of the common reasons um, whenever I ask some people, how's their spiritual walk with God? How are they doing? Musta ilang relationship with God's Word? And, and ilang um, prayer time? Kumusta na? Ang usual answer is wala lagi time, you know, busy kayo. Now, I'm not pointing finger at someone, but I'm also speaking to myself because this is also my temptation as a, a pastor, a uh, husband to my wife, a father to my child, and a bread and a breadwinner sa family. You know, life is just so complex and I tend to give in some business sa, sa life. But if we are to truly abide in the vine, as Jesus speaks about, then the problem of business is one of the hindrances good and makaamin judana, right? But this shouldn't be an excuse at on life because even Jesus himself, you know, his relationship with the Father was one or was of the utmost importance. Say, yeah, look record in Luke 5.16, he said, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, and this instance was right after several na mga healings. So Jesus made it a priority to be with his Father. Bisagun sa pagkadimanding iyang ministry and and being a devout Jew, of course he, he he knew what it meant to be in community, to practice Sabbath, to to love the Scripture. He fasted regularly. It seems that when busy seasons arose in the life of Jesus, his spiritual formation became more in intentional. How about us, as followers of Jesus, as follower of our Master Jesus? Some of us would say now, well, Jesus didn't really, you know, live in a 21st century. He didn't live with a smartphone or a computer in his, uh, or catching up with the emails. Wala na sayaha. He wasn't, he right? He wasn't a stay-at-home dad taking care of two or three kids. You know, there was no corporate ladder he was trying to climb. So often when we think about these things, we, we, we wonder if Jesus could ever, you know, relate with us, right? 
Makarelate ba si Jesus sa situation karon? Well, obviously he cannot relate to these specific situations we have in the 21st century. He didn't have he didn't have a smartphone, but he did have a constant waves of people wanting her uh, his attention, he, uh, wanting physical healing and spiritual nourishment, demanding time from him. He was not a stay-at-home dad, of course, but he did feel an intense burden as a loving master to equip his disciples to start a movement that revolutionized human history until now. And there was no corporate ladder he was climbing, but there was constant pressure of knowing how and when he was going to die and hang or to be hung on that tree. We could argue that his life was also stressful, yet he did find time with to, to be with his Father. Now, I don't know on sa kang stage sa imong life karon or what gives gives you pressure sa imong life nowadays, but I pray that you will also find time in your schedule to be with Jesus. Make it a priority to be with Him, and may we be a people who realize that we are in we are that we are insufficient, we are needy people, and totally dependent on Christ every day. I hope and I pray. Okay, that we will be a church who really exercise self-control, hold each other accountable as part of the family, and dependent on God as the true source of our spiritual nourishment, of our strength, of our power and wisdom sa to ang kinabuhi through the power of the Spirit. Now, I want you to get your communion elements and grab them with a thankful heart, you know, remembering what Christ has done for you. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, it, it reads, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is my prayer that um, we remember always what um, that even if we did not deserve it, God still sent his son. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed on the cross for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And because he loves us and um, we are humbled and we rejoice at the same time. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for these elements that you have provided for us. Everything that we have is provided by you, Lord. And even the salvation that we have is because of you. Lord, if there's any sin in our hearts that so easily entangles, sins that keep us away from you, we ask in humility that only you can take it away. We ask for your forgiveness and cleansing in our lives. And we thank you that you took all our sins on the cross and paid the price we couldn't pay. We, we thank you, Jesus, that by believing and depending on what you've done for us, we are forgiven and reconciled back to the Father. Father, bless this bread and the cup as we partake them together as a church right now, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's partake the elements together. thank you everyone for sharing with us the lord's supper and for joining us online have a spirit-filled week and you are loved